Verse 1, chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Then Jesus answered, we're going to stop at a comma. As we look at this event, you know, I I try to steer away from the word, the stories in the Bible, because people say they're just stories. They're not stories. They're events that took place in the Bible. This event that Jesus was, was engaging a man named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, the way and the method that he spoke to him is going to be telling to us. See, here's, I want to tell you where we're going. I want to tell you where we are, and I want to tell you where we've been. So I don't want to hide anything. Where we're going is this. We have a responsibility. The church, broad church, has a responsibility to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's this church fellowship. We, the church, the bride of Christ, the individual church, we have a responsibility to go out and preach the gospel and to make disciples of all men. We get equipped here in this, we'll call this the church, and then we, the church, go out into the world and make disciples. When we do that, we need to love people. I want to tell you a couple things. One is this. You need to have your testimony prepared. You need to be able to prepare your testimony, a very short one. Then you can have one that's a little bit longer if you're given an opportunity. And then you should have one that is a little more expansive, yet not boring. And testimony is fine. Boastimony is not. We want to give no glory to the flesh or our, our past or the bad that has happened in our lives. But every person you come across is unique, and they're all different, and they come from a different background, and they are at a different place in their walk. And Jesus was different with every person he came in contact. Whether the person had a physical disability, whether the person had other, I mean, all the way up to being physically dead, But here he met people, whether they were demon-possessed or self-absorbed, he would minister what they needed at the exact time they needed it. You see, there is an event that Jesus records when he talks to his disciples. He said two men went into the temple, and they prayed. And one man prayed, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and he beat his chest. And the other one said, Father God, I thank you that I'm not like him. (laughs) And they walked out, and Jesus said, which one walked out justified? The one who had the contrite heart, the one who said, Father, forgive me. You see, Jesus is not satisfied with 50%. I want you to know that. He's given that example to his disciples because they're they're in that process of saying, that's the heart that is necessary for salvation, and it is. But what about the other guy? Don't we care about him? I can tell you Jesus cares about him. He's not happy with 50%. I mean, I know in baseball, if you were batting 500, that's Hall of Fame. But in the real world, that's not enough. If I had two children and one were saved, I wouldn't say, good, we got 50%. I would be on my knees for my children. How is the heart of God expressed? It's expressed through Jesus when he engages even this man who felt, he's a Pharisee, he felt a sense of entitlement. There's no other way around it. He said, I am a teacher. In fact, I'm a well-respected teacher, probably a teacher of teachers. 
coming to Jesus by night. For whatever his reasons, we don't want to speculate. But he comes to Jesus and he asks him this question. And he says, Rabbi, like, I'm a teacher. You're a teacher. Teach me. Show me. I need to understand this. And what does Jesus do? It's as if this Jesus, not that there's more than one Jesus, there, there are no Jesuses. Is it plural of Jesus, Jesuses? Jesus, what, what, <laughs> Yeshua's? I don't know. There's one Jesus, but he knows the heart of man. He cares so much about that man that he speaks to him the way that he will understand. So if your Bible, you may have a Bible that has the words of Jesus in red, what you'll see here is a lot of red. Jesus goes on to share, and he says, most assuredly I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Your desire is to see the kingdom of God. You need to be born again. Let's deal with that first. Then the man asks a question, and Jesus then answers him. You can't be born again unless you're born of the Spirit. You've already been born once. You need to be born again in the Spirit. You need to have your sin washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Then you can see things clearly. You're trying. You're trying to understand. He says, and you have the example. I mean, we're going to skim through this because I want to get to the woman at the well, and I don't want to be here till 2 o'clock. <laughs> <clears throat> You guys wouldn't mind that, right? Anyway. So he asks him a question down in verse 10. Are you a teacher of Israel? And do you not know these things? He's not asking this because he wants to be rude. He's asking it to pierce his memory. He's like, you're a teacher. You know these things. What is it? Because every time he spoke, he spoke deliberately. Every word he said was designed to get a reaction that led someone closer in their relationship to him, to bring salvation to the hurting and the lost. So when he asked this question, just like he would talk to the Pharisees who were trying to attack him, and he would say, have you not read? He started out gentle. Have you not read? And they're like, yeah, I, I'm sure I read that. Then he said, you have not read. <laughs> I have not read? Not only have I read, but I, I'm pretty schooled and educated in this, this scripture thing. Then he said, you have not read, therefore you do error. He gets a little harsher with him. Like, how dare you say that I've never read this? You may have seen the words, but you've never read it. You've never opened your heart to the teaching of the word, or you would not err. He's, but he would speak to people in a way that they would understand. He doesn't tell the common man that. Have you never read? You have not read. Have you never read? They may not even have a Bible in their own hand. He asks them this question. Have you not heard? Have you not seen? Because that's the way you reach the person. I know you. I love you enough to speak to you that way. So if you have a cookie cutter testimony, be flexible. Recognize that that may not work with every person. Recognize that people like this Nicodemus needed to be, he understood teaching. Instruct me, rabbi. And Jesus instructs him as a teacher to a student. So look at what goes on here. He asks him these questions. He said, no one in verse 13, no one ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, the son of man who is in heaven. And then he goes on to speak about, and Moses lifted up. So you can connect all. Jesus just lays out this beautiful picture. And he says, now do you see it? <coughs> Excuse me. And Nicodemus can say, it's been there my whole life. And now I make the connection. That's the beautiful part. So when Jesus gets into verse 16, 
for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, it now makes sense to him. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. It all makes sense to him. But Jesus spoke a lot. It was an opportunity for teaching. Now we head down into chapter 4. And in verse 1, when the Lord knew the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea, departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. And he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So it's, oh, I guess somewhere around, excuse me, <clears throat> around noon. And he sits by the well. It said he needed to go that way. He did, by the way, he didn't need to go that way. That was not the way that would be normally traveled. In fact, that was out of the way. But Jesus needed to go that way. His disciples couldn't see a need to go that way. Why would we go there? It's, I don't want to say hostile territory, but it's not comfortable, not familiar. We don't go that way. I don't even know how we're going to get supplies, what we're going to do, who we're going to run into. Jesus, of course, knows. Jesus has a better plan. So Jesus said, we need to go that way. You would think the disciples, at least by this point in their life, would be willing to say, if he has a plan, let's just follow his plan. It always works out well. And when I follow my, you're going to, I mean, when you talk about giving a testimony, ministering to people, witnessing to others, remember, God has a plan. Follow his plan and watch how it will work out. Follow your own plan or say, this is the way I'm going to do it. Uh, you'll hear God laugh. He'll chuckle just a little bit. When you want to be able to say, Lord, I just want to reach people for you. I just want to minister in your name. I just want to love people the way that you love people, and I don't want to beat them up. I don't want to present you incorrectly. And it's going to take a little bit of vulnerability on our part. It's going to take a little bit of investment on our part. We're going to have to, I mean, look at it. We're going to have to go out of our way. You have to go out of your way. You're going to have to get to know the people you're talking to. And you're going to have to care about them more than you care about a lot of other things. So when you, Jesus is now meeting this woman, by the way, he's got this set up. He came to this city. It's about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. In our vernacular, it may sound harsh. We know clearly from the text a little bit later, she said, he's asking me for a drink. He's not demanding. He's asking for a drink. Her response for him asking her for a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I want you to notice something here, just as an observation. Many of these things are clear and right in front of us. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. The narrative is, I need a teacher, teach me, and he teaches. And we have a lot of instruction. Praise God, we have a lot of instruction. This woman does not get the instruction of a rabbi. This woman was not asking for a tutor. I just need you to give me what it is that you have. I've been looking for this my whole life. She has no idea what it is that she's even missing. She has no idea what it is that she lacks in her life. And Jesus is going to confront all of that burden, all of that heavy laden, and he's going to give her rest. 
that's Jesus. Or he could, unless a woman is born again, she cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Do you not know? And he could have gone on and taught the exact same words that he shared with Nicodemus and had a completely different effect. If you've read ahead, if you're familiar with the story, the event of the woman at the well is remarkable. Not only is she giving her heart to Jesus Christ, but there's a revival in the town. Because Jesus is not satisfied with 50%. Jesus' heart is this. I came to seek and to save the lost. I'm not willing that any should perish. I want all to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Salvation, uh, life and death. We really believed hell was as bad as it was or is. I think we would be more motivated. I'm fairly certain we're convinced that heaven is as good as it is. I think we feel, much like Nicodemus, a sense of entitlement. God's lucky to have me. In fact, the day that he saved me, kingdom of heaven just got a little bit sweeter because I, I, I have gifts, talents, and abilities. I, I'm all that and a bag of chips. This is great. God is good. You should join too because then, you know, it'll be, it'll be all right too if you come. Really? Is, but we believe that heaven is as good as it is, but we don't believe that hell is as terrible as it is. We don't believe that hell is a place where the torment never ends, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and a fire that never goes out and the torment is eternal day and night. There is no rest, no peace, only pain and suffering. I think it's time for us, the body of Christ, to do what we're called to do effectively and efficiently and to stop doing the scatter, I'm going to give it a shot approach, but I'm going to diligently and deliberately allow my pastor at the church to equip me for the work of the ministry, to go out into the world and not only preach the gospel, but make disciples, which means I should be a disciple. There should be someone in my life that is more mature spiritually than I, that invests in me, speaks truth and speaks life into my life. I'm only 60 years old, and I say only tongue in cheek, because I know some of you people are like, only 60 years old. I'm only 60 years old, and I have a lot to learn. And there are people that have gone before me who have learned a lot, who invest in me. And there are people who are younger in the Lord than I, that I invest in. And they invest in people younger in the Lord than they. Because it's important for us to make this, this family, the body of Christ, is necessary for us to be able to use our gifts, talents, and abilities to support one another, to build this wonderful community so others can not only come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but we use words like get plugged in. They need to get plugged in. My church family is my family. That's where I spend my time. That's the people that I rejoice and celebrate. This is my family. And the body of Christ is not, is not fractured. The body of Christ is global. And we're going to spend eternity together. Why would we not want to fill the house of heaven? We know the judgment is coming. I get it. I'm surprised the Lord hasn't come. I know you guys look around, you see the things that are going on. I'm surprised the Lord hasn't come back already. But every day he waits is another day of his mercy. His mercy is greater than anything I can imagine. And should he extend his mercy for however long he extend his mercy, I want to be 
busy. The word is occupy until he comes back. And occupy does not mean sit in a seat and put my feet up. I'm an older man, so I remember Barco loungers and bonbons. We are not to go sit in our Barco loungers and eat bonbons. We are to be busy about the work of God, sharing even our testimony, our life experience, ministering to others who are hurting and broken. This woman at the well is hurting and broken. She was not looking for a teacher. She was probably not expecting anyone, in fact, hoping no one was going to be there. For some reason, she went and it's, if you've been over to Israel, noontime is a ridiculous time to do manual labor. It's the hottest part of the day. If you were going to go gather water, you would go in the morning. But customarily, the women would go gather water in the morning. She didn't want to be around them. What was her reason for not wanting to be around? I don't know. I'm not going to enter into speculation. We know a little bit about her life. She did not want to be bothered with, uh, is cattiness okay? And if it's not, delete it. With the cattiness, with the finger pointing, with what any of the, ugh, I can't believe I'm going to have to face. I'd rather wait till noon when no one is there than go when other people are. And there's Jesus ruining her whole day, <laughs> sitting there on the well. It's not like he's even given me social distance. He is right on. I have to engage him or walk all the way back to the city in this heat and wait and hope that he leaves. I'm going to engage him. What do I say? Maybe she's going through the litany of, I don't know how I'm going to, what am I going to? And he gives it, lets her right off the hook. Would you give me a drink? And her response, already prepared, I'm going to be snarky. Is that a, is that a religious word? It is now. I'm going to be snarky. Who do you think you are? You have no dealings with us. You think you're better than we. And he looked at her, in fact, as you look at the response, how is it, she said, that you being a Jew, I can't, can you imagine that just the term, you can almost hear the, the twang in it, you being a Jew, would ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. How low would you sink? And Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now her curiosity is piqued. What? There's something different about this fellow. I was just, I gave him this response that was sarcastic. And instead of responding with sarcasm, he said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked of me. And I would give you living water. Now she's curious. Now she wants to know. Now I also want you to notice this. Mark it in your, in your brain for all time. One of the best ways to engage people is to ask questions. If you ask questions of them, you draw out of them. And Jesus is a master of drawing it out of people. So he uses the technique, let me ask her questions. Do you even know who you're talking to? I mean, you came back with a sarcastic response. All I asked was the common courtesy is to ask you for water. This is your town. I'm a guest. I can ask you for water. And your response was sarcastic. You're expecting me to push back, but I don't. I simply ask you a question. If you knew who it was, do you know who I am? Why are you talking to me like this? Why would you engage with this hostility? And he's not probing. 
sorry. No more words with P's in them. He's not asking <laughs> because, because he wants her to feel guilty for what she said. He's asking because he wants her to be now allowing the curiosity to continue and develop. The curiosity is going to have her, excuse me, have her try to come to a conclusion. I don't know whom I'm talking to. I would like to know because this man is different. Already he's unique. Already I hit him with something and he didn't hit me back. What is going to go on here? Look at what it says. The woman then said to him, sir, which is nice. You have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Let me tell you a little bit about us. You asked me, do I know who you are? Let me tell you who I am. I'm a descendant of those, our ancestor, Jacob. That's our claim to fame. This is the most famous place. It's a, in fact, it's a, it, it's a place that the Museum of Antiquities would probably have as a holy site. This is a place where Jacob dug this well. And if you want to talk about Israel and you want to talk about Jews, you can't get more Jewish than Jacob. And Jacob and his descendants not only dug this well, they drank from it. And not only them, but all of their livestock. This well has been proficient and it's been, uh, it's taken care of all of us for generations. Do you have any idea who we are? Because we're the ones who feel like we're misunderstood. Remember, Nicodemus came in feeling completely entitled. This woman comes in feeling completely unentitled. I have no claim. I have no right. I do not feel holy. I do not feel worthy. I do, there's a lot of knots in her life. I do not want to be around people. I do not want to engage. I do not want to be in proper society. I do not fit in. I do not feel like I'm loved. I do not. All of those knots in her life. And Jesus is going to untie all of them. And as he does, look at what it says here. When she says all of these things, he answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. There's something unique about what Jesus said. He said, I know the need in your life. You're thirsty and you're dry and you're not satisfied. And there's something going on in your life that makes you feel weak tired and it's a burden that you carry and the word heavy laden she's heavy laden and what's Jesus word to her if you drink of this water you'll never thirst again you will know what it's like to have a river of living water filling up inside of you revelation he who overcomes out of him will flow torrents of living water that should flow out of the heart and life of the believer we should be the refreshers of the world. When the world is dry around us, when the world is broken, when the world is hurting, when the world comes to the well and they're trying to seek some kind of refreshment in this world, do we have the real refreshment ready? Are we prepared to be able to share with them? Oh, I know that was a P word. Are we ready and able to give them what it is that they really need? The true word of God, the living truth, the Holy Spirit, who wells up inside of us to wash them in the refreshment of the word, to have them know that their place is assured in heaven, to have them know that they never have to deal with the pain of the loss and the burden and the suffering of the guilt 
of the shame of sin in their life because it's been born at the cross of Calvary? Nicodemus needed to know how. She needed to know who. And she's meeting him right now. So she says, give me this water. And what does Jesus say to her? Call your husband and come here. Again, the proper thing to do. It's not always appropriate just to talk to a woman. Go get your husband. We'll have this conversation with the man of the house. He's getting right to the core, by the way. He's addressing the issue, but he didn't address the issue until he already engaged her in conversation, piqued her curiosity. She's asking questions. He's asking questions. They're now engaging. Then he can get to the point. I don't need to point out the sin in other people's lives. I don't need to be the one that, I mean, I call it the pointer-outer of sin. I don't need to be the guy standing there that's a pointer-outer of sin. Get right or get left. Choose heaven or you're going to hell. Turn or burn. Please. Uh, yeah, I have to say it. They're not effective. I, I have not found those methods of uh, reaching the lost as effective. What I found as effective methods of reaching the lost is love them. Give a cup of cold water, give a sandwich to someone who's hurting, engage someone in conversation, let them know you care. I know it's a cliche, but they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They have to know that you care about them. This woman needed to know that this man wanted nothing from me. He only wanted to give things to me. He's for me. And as Jesus presents this to her, he says, call your husband. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. She's not ready to fully bear her soul. But Jesus says, I know you. I know you. You have no husband, rightly said. You've had, look at what it says. You've had five husbands. And with the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Your life is painful. Your life is filled with sorrow. I want to do something about it. I want to fill you with joy. I want you to know that you can be free from the burden. I want you to know that you can have living water in your life. You don't have to get up in the morning and say, I don't want to go and engage people. But I can engage people because I've been freed, liberated in Christ Jesus. He set me free from the pain and the guilt and the shame of my sin. Do I have sin in my life? Yes. If you say you don't have sin in your life, you're a liar. I didn't write it. God wrote it. I just believe it. So what do we do? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I hate that little word, if. If. If we confess our sin. I don't want to confess my sin. Confess my sin and repent and turn away from it. Uh, there's some sin in my life that I'm, I don't think is too bad. Uh, I'm only speaking for myself. You guys probably all got it dealt with. But the reality is there are things in my life like, is that really so bad? I mean, is, uh, it's not, not a big S. It's only a little S. No. Stop it. Deal ruthlessly with all sin. And what do we do? We can know freedom in Christ. When we do this, we, God liberates us from even the guilt. I don't have to walk around in the shadows. I don't have to walk around hoping that nobody finds out about whatever it is that's going on. I can walk in liberty in Christ Jesus. I can share the truth. And part of my testimony is this. There was a time in my life when I didn't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I was not a good guy. I'm not going to tell you what I did because I'm not going to glorify the flesh. 
But then someone cared enough about me to introduce me to Jesus Christ and told me there's one who wanted to forgive me of my sin and set me free. And I said, well, you introduce me to this one and introduced me to Jesus Christ. And I found life eternal and my burden was lifted and I found freedom for the first time in my life in Christ Jesus. I don't have to glorify the flesh. I don't have to, to dignify the sin. I don't have to tell you anything about my life other than I needed Christ and someone cared enough about me to introduce me to him. I simply want to introduce the people I care about to Jesus Christ. As Jesus is meeting this woman, he said, go get your husband. He's now exposing the wound, but it's gentle now. Now it's exposing it to heal. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Now she's concerned about worship. She said, you know, our fathers worship. She doesn't say, I worship here. I don't know if she worships anywhere. I don't know if she feels worthy to worship anywhere. Who would want me, a sinner? I can tell you who wants you, a sinner. God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, wants you, a sinner. By the way, all have sinned. And when he said, I came to die for all, he who knew no sin became sin for us, even while I was an enemy of his. Christ died for me. This woman, oh my goodness. If anyone needs salvation, she needs salvation. If anyone needs salvation, we need salvation. If anyone needs salvation, there are people coming to your mind right now that you know need an encounter with Jesus Christ, need to be set free from the burden that's going on in their heart and life, need to know that he cares and loves them this much. He then says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming, verse 21, when you will neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Let me set you free. You do not need four walls and a dove behind you on a wall. It's nice to have crosses and doves. It's nice to have a place with air conditioning, but God needs to be worshiped in our hearts and in our lives. His throne is not here in this walls of sheetrock. His throne is in the hearts of his children. He dwells in the hearts of men. Therefore, we carry him wherever we go. When we worship, we worship in spirit and we worship in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And she, he, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now it gets real, not that it wasn't interesting. Now it gets really interesting. He now has said to her, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been looking for. You didn't even know you were looking. You were trying to avoid. But in your heart of hearts, you knew what you needed. I don't know how to get free. I don't know how to get free from my sin. I don't know what I can do in order to be liberated from the pain that I have in my life. I don't know how I'm going to get help. It doesn't seem like there's anyone who cares. And that may be what the world presents. But we're the church. And we are the epitome of care. We are the epitome of love. We get to represent to the world, here's a big word, hope. Does the world out there, it doesn't take long. I, I used to say if you read the newspaper, but wherever you get your information, the world is getting 
more and more hopeless. It's finding no answers anywhere it looks, and it's coming to all the wrong conclusions. As a result of the hopelessness, we know the devastation that follows, including the high suicide rate, the drug and alcohol rate, anger is growing all because no one is at peace. And we have peace. We have the answers. We need to be, well, we're going to get there. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. People need to see your good work. I know it's going to get scary. I know it's going to get risky. Someone prayed earlier today, thank you, Lord, that we're in a, a country that does not heavily persecute Christians yet. It's coming. I've read the book. It's coming. But the world needs light. The world needs people that are willing to shine the light. Yeah, but if I shine the light, it's not going to go well for me. It may not go well for you, but it will go well for them. I know we're up when I know I'm closer to my eternity than many in this room. Let me tell you, settle the eternal issue right away. Have the Apostle Paul mentality. It is good for me to be here, but it's better for me to be there. It's good for me to be here because it's good for you and for others. But when I'm liberated from the limitations of this mortal body, everything that is me goes into heaven and paradise. And remember, we looked and we talked about heaven. Heaven's great. There's, there's a lot of not there. There's no crying, no tears, no pain, no suffering, no sorrow, no death. Everything like that has been passed away. Everything is always new in heaven. It's exciting. So settle the issue now and be willing to risk. Be a little bit vulnerable. Jesus now shares with her, and now look at her because it's getting really interesting here. Verse 27, at that point his disciples came. They marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you speak or why are you talking with her? At least the disciples are smart enough not to talk. The woman left... Now the woman left, verse 28, her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, and this is brilliant, come and see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She put it in question form. She gave them all the respect that she could muster. She went to the men of the city, not the women of the city. Apparently she's not necessarily, I don't want to be around them. But the men of the city, she's not afraid of. She goes to them, and she asks a question. Let me tell you what I have seen, and let me ask you a question. Could this be the Messiah? This is your responsibility, men. Your responsibility is to know when the Messiah comes. Your responsibility is to know the religious things. You're supposed to teach and be the instructors in the community. So men, let me ask you a question. Could this be the Messiah? Now, she gives them no alternative. Now, I have to. If I'm a man, I have to go and find out because it's my job. I can't just say, nuh-uh, nuh-uh. That's 21st century sense. Nuh-uh. I now have to go and investigate. Even if I go and investigate and say, you're a fool, or I investigate and say, yes, it's my responsibility. And she, brilliant, I believe, under the leading and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I believe, under the leading and inspiration of how it affected her. He asked me questions. It changed my life. 
Let me ask them questions. Let me engage them and see how it works. She could have just gone to the rooftop and say, the Messiah is here, the Messiah is here. And what would have been shouted back? Shut up, fool. Who do you think you are? A woman teaching us. I know you. I know your background. I know your past. I know. Or you can ask questions. What do you think? Let me lay out what I know. Take a look at it. Is the picture clear to you? Let's run it through the lens of the word of God. Does it line up with the word of God? And then look at the, the response. As she, she went, <coughs> excuse me, verse 30, then they went out of the city and came to Jesus. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, said, uh, come and eat, and they missed it because of the food all the way around. And then he goes in verse 35, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they're already white for the harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. He's looking at his disciples and his disciples are saying, why are we here? We have no business being here. And Jesus said, I have to be here. <sighs> He's talking to a woman. Should we ask him about it? I don't even want to ask him about it. Do you guys have food? Oh, it's all about the food. We, we let him down again. We're missing it. He's like, guys, let's get with the plan. It's not about your belly. It's about the broken. It's not about us. It's about them. The entitled need Jesus Christ. The people that are unworthy, unentitled, they need Jesus Christ. How do you reach him? He looks at his disciples, and they should learn the lesson. How do I reach them? How do I know that they learn these lessons? Well, they wrote it down in their letters, in their gospels. John wrote this very clearly. You don't write this unless you've learned it. You don't write it unless you say, you know what? I had to learn. People are more valuable. I had to learn to look around. I had to learn and not judge people based on these people are never going to find Jesus Christ. You know how they are. They're Samaritans. Oh, here comes a woman. I have nothing to offer her. You have the words of eternal life. If we don't offer the words of eternal life, who will? How can they hear unless we go? How can they see unless we represent and present Christ well? And if we do, look at what happens. Many believe. He looks at his disciples and he said, you guys had nothing to do with this. One woman given her freedom in Jesus Christ. One woman finding liberty in Christ Jesus turned an entire town upside down. And the disciples get to go, because they're going to come to the disciples and say, who is this Jesus? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the word of God. And they're going to now go make disciples. And Jesus said, and you guys had nothing to do with it. You get to reap where you haven't sown. And they're like, wow, this is blowing my mind. This is great. I want you to know when you go out into the world, you're going to find that. You're going to find people who have planted seeds long before you, and you're going to have the opportunity. My wife and I, uh, we went on a mission trip every year to the same place, and it uh, doesn't matter where the place was. But we went to a mission trip every year to the same place. And then one year we went back, and my wife met this girl, and she said, I have been waiting an entire year for you to get here. She's like, really? Yes, and I wanted to share with I waited to let you know that I want you to lead me to Jesus Christ. It was an amazing sentence. 
others have come and said, you know, people came before you. Will you tell me about this? Two quick stories, and then well, I, I know that when a pastor says two quick stories, it's meaningless, but <laughs> two quick stories. <clears throat> when I was a young pastor, I was worried. I, I, I don't know. One of my biggest fears was when someone's in the hospital and they're facing an imminent uh, appointment with their eternity, will I have the right words? Because families rely on you. And in your home, I want you to know your family relies on you. And in your circle of influence, God relies on you. And I want to set you free with this. That I prayed, Lord, I'm going to go visit people in the hospital that I know are facing their eternity in probably days, if not hours. And their family has asked, have asked me to go because they don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Will you help me? So I got a group of people and we prayed. And then I went to the hospital I visited. And I walked in and there's the one who's trying to say, oh, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here, which is a good start. And I said, can I pray for you and for your wife? And his wife was dying of cancer. And he said, yes. I said, would you like to pray? The man looked at me and said, I don't know how. And I said, Lord, thank you for the privilege and the opportunity. And I was able to help him and teach him to pray, to talk to God, that he can go directly to the throne of God on behalf of his wife. And we prayed for his wife. And you'll meet his wife one day in heaven. As I'm walking down the hall, I'm saying, thank you, Lord, that this worked out. Thank you, Lord. I'm walking down the hall. I, I meet a man, turned out to be my cousin. He yelled out of the room to me, Vincy, that's what they called him, Vincy, will you come in here? And I said, sure, and I walked in. And he said, I didn't know what was wrong. I was feeling pain in my stomach, and now the doctor tells me I have a week to live. Terrible. And one of my friends came in, and he handed me this booklet, The Four Spiritual Laws, quote, I can't make heads nor tails of it. Will you help me? And I said, Lord, any sign at all. <laughs> any sign at all. And I was able to share with him that somebody else came in, probably brokenhearted because he didn't get the opportunity to lead this man, my cousin, in, into saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Left saying, Lord, you're going to have to help him. I tried. I prayed with him. I gave him the pamphlet. We discussed it, but he just didn't get it. Because God knew that I needed a shot in the arm that day. And I got to go in there and in five minutes pray with that man. And he's on his knees and he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And he and his family now got to hear a testimony of his conversion at the last week of his life at his funeral. You'll see him and you'll meet him. I'm praying like, Lord, you got to help me. I have another family friend, because once family finds out you're in ministry, you're the guy, and they're like, can you go talk to this one, because he needs help. And I go to another family, family member. If, if you were to look up in the dictionary, reprobate, his picture would be there. And that's why the family said, you got to go, because nobody else has been able to reach him. So I got my group of guys together, and we prayed. And I said, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. He was less than a week away from facing his eternity. He's almost the same age as I am. And again, I was a much younger man, so it was a heavy tragedy. And I walked into his hospital room, and he said, 
Vincy, <laughs> I'm sitting here, I open this drawer, and some guy named Gideon left his Bible here. <laughs> I open it, there's a bookmark, and underlined is John 3.16. Will you explain that to me? I thought, Lord. <laughs> Immediately I said, thank you. And then I had to get on my knees and said, Lord, am I that pathetic that you have to do? <laughs> you have to lower the bar all the way down to here so that I could see that it's all about you and not about me. All I have to do is let people know that I care and that Jesus loves them. And the Holy Spirit does the work. He draws men to himself. He brings salvation to the hurting and the lost. I'm the one who was struggling with what if I fail? Who am I? I'm not equipped. I can't. I don't have all the good words. What am I going to do? And Jesus had to say, you go and do what I've called you to do. You preach the gospel and make disciples. Ask them questions. Meet them where they are. Engage them in the way they need to be engaged. What way did that woman at the well need to be complete, radically different than Nicodemus? Radically. What way did you need to be engaged? I'll bet it was radically different than the person to your left and your right. Maybe you were caught up in something bad, maybe an addiction. Maybe you weren't. Maybe you felt entitled. Maybe you felt completely unworthy. I don't know, but I can tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ met you right where you were and very probably sent someone into your life who cared enough about you to talk to you about them so that you trusted the words that they said. Just like these men heard the words that this woman asked, and then said, we had to go investigate for ourselves. They came back and they said, now we believe not because of your words, but because of his words. Some have said, see how disrespectful that is? I don't care. Disrespect me all you want, get saved. Say it had nothing to do with you. Praise God, it's all him anyway. I want to, I know I say it a lot. I'm going to close with this. <laughs> God wants to seek and save the lost. Nothing has changed. He's given us the great privilege as his bride, as the church, the magnificent called out ones to go and present him into the world. But we have to make ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is our reasonable service. There are steps that we need to take. Maybe there are things in our life that we need to deal with on our own. Whatever they are, keep them to yourself. I don't want you to show your hand. But do business with God. Get serious in your relationship with him. People that you care about, they're worth it. People in our lives that we really want to reach for the kingdom, we really do believe that heaven is wonderful. Do we really believe that hell is terrible? And if we do, let's move outside of our comfort zone and let's go and share the gospel with others around us and let's take those steps where we just become a little bit more vulnerable and engage people that perhaps we normally would not. And let the Holy Spirit do his work. Let God receive the glory. Maybe you'll just be a seed planter. Praise God. Let someone else be there to see the harvest. Let someone else water the seed. You do what you're called to. And when we do that, there's, I would like nothing more than this world to turn right side up. It's already upside down. I want to see the world turn right side up. And I think that bride of Christ has everything that we need. 
We have the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have all of the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us for the work of the ministry, empower us for service. And then he does all the work of drawing people to himself. He just wants to put us in. I encourage you, step in.